The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, are there health benefits to pets? Oh yeah, there's something called animal-assisted or pet therapy. And we're going to dig into the literature around it. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. The patches of hair over the eyes. Okay. Eyebrows. Right. What is one single hair called? Is it a lash or is it a Mm, hair? hair. An eyebrow Hair. hair? I think. Hello. Hi, I'm Michael Chapman. Why are you thinking about eyebrow hair? Hello, Patty Devers. I'm thinking about it because I just think it's strange that we don't have a term for this. Hmm. Like other than we do, eyebrow, it's called hair. Eyebrow hair. It's hair. That's what. You, that doesn't even sound right. Well, what would you like to call it? I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, a lash sounds. An eyebrow lash no. seems more appropriate. No. I think the other issue I have with eyebrow hair is that lash is singular. Mm-hmm. Hair can be singular or plural, so it's okay. not very specific. So you have to say an eyebrow hair. It's just a lot to say for some, for something so little. The problem here, Michael, is that although this is typical Patty and Michael banter on a day-to-day basis, what we're currently doing in the moment is a podcast. That's a good point. Uh, this is a podcast. It's called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and some other things mixed in there. <laughs> and if you're new to the show, welcome. If you're returning, we are so grateful and thank you. And we're going to ask that you'd go to iTunes or Spotify, perhaps subscribe to the show, leave yeah. us some stars. Right? And if you have feedback that requires words, mm-hmm. not just a star or something, yeah. you can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. Well, today we have a really interesting topic. Yeah. I mean, I know in the past we've done some episodes on things like the benefits of nature therapy mm-hmm. and sunlight and laughter. Fun stuff. Yeah. Just kind of like that general stuff that you think of we don't realize has a lot of literature around it. Well, today's topic is quite similar. We're going to talk about pets. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. I've always been fascinated by this, mm-hmm. this entire concept that uh, the health benefits of, of pet ownership or even interacting interacting with animals can have on someone. Um Right, because it's our there are furry companions, and so it's it's nice to know that uh, there's something to that. Yeah, and I think intuitively we all think having a pet is calming and has all these positive benefits. But what's not known is that there is actually a lot of literature and research around this. Calming most of the time. I mean, mm-hmm. not the times that they're like chewing up your shoes and yeah. destroying things, or such a good point. Um, waking you up in the middle of the night to be fed. <laughs> but other than those things. <laughs> And then I wonder, what has the most research around it? What kind of pet? Like fish, dogs, I'm, cats, I'm birds? sure it's fish. I'm glad you let out with fish, fish there. Fish are calming. What are you talking about? No, you're right. You're right. I, when I think of pet therapy, the first thing that comes to my fish. mind is fish. Yeah. Right. have a deep spiritual attachment to good old bubbles. Well, Patty, where do you want to start with this fun, entertaining topic? Well, rather than break it down by animal and or pet... Let's talk about some of the research around things like psychological and then mental, emotional, and then actual physical effects. Yeah, I think that's a good approach. I don't know that there's a lot of scientific evidence on the former of what you just said as far as 
breaking them down animal by animal. <laughs> animal. But we should do that. We should apply the scientific method to determine yes. at the end of the day which is the best bet. Or who knows? There might actually be literature to say if you have this specific disease, you should get this specific pet. That's absurd. Or is it? It's not. I mean, I, we should be breaking down PetSmart into the aisles. They should be categorized That's by right. disease process. Who knows? Like, for example, mm-hmm. someone has something like insulin resistance. What pet would you suggest that they get? Well, I, it's it's got to be like a hamster or a gerbil, right? It's got to be some sort of mm-hmm. rodent that oh, yeah. is running on the wheel sort of thing. Well, that's clear. Okay, well, you nailed that one. Let's take it from the opposite approach. Uh-huh. What if I name a pet, like, let's just say a parrot. Uh-huh. Who would you pair that with? Narcissistic personality disorder. You're really good at this. Okay, well, it's clear you and I are on the same page as it relates to associating who should have what pet, but I think we should really get to the state of the actual literature here. Probably a good idea. Let me ask you this question, Patty. Like, how extensively has this been studied? Have we actually done, like, randomized control trials on these sort of things? Well, there can be some randomized controlled trials. However, most of them are things like case series or observational or, you know, prospective studies. Yeah, and we've actually been studying this for quite a long time, dating back to the 70s, and there's actually more articles than you would think out there uh, using animal-assisted therapy, as they say. Yeah, and I would say probably the lowest hanging fruit, if we're going to dive into the mental-emotional aspects of animal therapy, is around loneliness, right? That sort of is the most intuitive, that if you're lonely and you get a pet, that will help your mental-emotional state. No, it's true. I mean, when I was had a m- period of my life that I was feeling exceptionally lonely, and then I got bubbles, and we just started having long conversations into the night, Aww. and it was just, uh, you know, it really helped. Bubbles is a fish. But other than, you know, anecdotal evidence like my relationships, um, what have we seen in the literature as far as documentation around its effects on things like mental health, anxiety, depression, as you mentioned, loneliness, these things? Well, let's start with depression, right? Because there's a lot of mental, emotional things, right? There's a lot of psych disorders, Uh anxiety, stress. But if we just take depression first, Mm -hmm. there are some studies, but there's some mixed results as it relates to depression and pet therapy. There was a small intervention trial where they took patients who were about to receive electroconvulsive therapy or ECT. Holy cow. Like shock therapy. This is, these are very depressed individuals. Yeah, this this is is serious business. And so they took these patients who were about to receive ECT. They gave them 15 minutes with the dog and a trainer. And then they had another group where they didn't, they just let them read magazines. And the patients who had interactions with the dog and the trainer had decreased levels of fear and better outcomes from the ECT. But I will say, the flip side of this is that they tried a similar thing with aquariums and fish, and there was no improvement. Okay, so this is an interventional study, but I don't think it's necessarily with respect to depression, right? They're, they're trying to get these individuals who have significant depression to, to not freak out by the fact that they're about to get electroconvulsive shock therapy, right? So it's, it's more so about that rather than treating their depression. Am I wrong? No, you're... Well, in that specific instance, perhaps. But there are a lot of other studies that involve various pets and institutionalized depressed patients who are not getting ECT. So it's not just they're afraid to get shock therapy, which understandably so. There are a lot of other studies that deal with institutionalized depressed patients and the presence of animals. But they were more so, as far as measuring the outcomes, they were looking at decreases in anxiety pre-treatment. And I could understand where maybe a fish tank... Is not the same. I mean, a fish tank is nice when you're waiting for your dentist appointment. I'm sorry. But but it's probably not going to cut it as much when you're you're about to get ECT. And although that one study Mm -hmm. 
did say that the aquarium made no difference. I find fish very calming. And if I can bring this back to what you just said, there's a reason there are fish tanks in dental offices because some people are very frightened of the dentist. So again, although this one study didn't show any change with that intervention, I'm not discounting it. Wait, let me be clear. I think fish can be relaxing and they're probably helpful in the dentist's office. What I'm trying to say is that I don't think the dentist's office is the same degree of fear as electroconvulsive That's shock probably therapy. probably true. I mean, let's not put too much pressure on poor bubbles here. No, but I will say this as it relates to depression. I mean, there's definitely other studies out there that have shown uh, improvements in depression analysis, uh, such as this one that I pulled up, depression in college students in animal-assisted therapy. Mm. Um, they use the Beck Depression Inventory, which is pretty much one of the gold standard tests for depression, at least subjective assessments of it. And they found that they broke the individuals into three groups. The first okay. group was animal-assisted therapy, pet therapy right. with psychotherapy. Okay. There was the animal-assisted only without the psychotherapy right. and then the control group. And what they found was that there was st statistical significance and difference between the control group and the animal therapy only group, hmm. but not the animal therapy with the psychotherapy. What does so, that say? I mean, I guess wow. the, the animals outperformed the, the, the ill effects of therapists. Or but, what? But, then the, but you appear to be an expert on pairing clinical conditions with what pet a person should own. So in this particular case... What would you choose? I think as it relates to depression, mm -hmm. you've got to go dog there. Oh, yeah, because they're very positive and happy. Yeah, and also, you know, speaking of dogs, I've got this interesting study here, the effects of animal-assisted therapy on anxiety ratings of hospitalized psychiatric patients. Uh, so these were patients who were hospitalized for a, a varying degree of, of psychiatric illnesses, anxiety, depression, several other things, and varying mm -hmm. severity, as you would expect. Right. And they, had, they broke them into two groups, and the... Uh, control group, uh, you know, did not have the animal-assisted therapy. And the therapy was an interaction with a dog for about 30 minutes and the dog's kind of owner. Uh, and they found that post-therapy group was uh, had statistically significant lower levels of anxiety, um, according to um, the, the survey that they filled out. So, you know, there is some intervention studies there. So mm -hmm. that's that's interesting. Yeah. And what what another psychiatric illness that they're using pet therapy in is something called schizophrenia. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you think, all right. What's the intervention here? And in fact, they did kind of what you just described, Michael. They did specific sessions with a counselor and then others that had a counselor and a dog and dog handler. And in some studies, there's improvement in some of their social contact scores. There's scores around positive and negative symptoms. But not all of these studies are positive because, in fact, if you can consider that sometimes some of these subjects were troubled by the pet care responsibilities mm. or they grieved over loss of pets. And, you know, if you extrapolate this back, in my mind, I would think there is a lot of responsibility to owning a pet and having a pet. And there's a lot of other things that might trigger you the, a different way if you're depressed and your dog dies. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not good, right? Well, for sure. And I think you're alluding to something that is a good distinguishing point is there's the difference between a 30 minute session, mm -hmm. which is kind of a therapy session as compared to long term pet ownership, which they've actually kind of discussed this in the research as well about how that those two outcomes might be actually different. So, Patty, you know, we talked about depression, we talked about anxiety and even schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. I, I, let me ask you this. When you think about anxiety, what pet would you go to? Hmm. Well, I'm not the expert like you are, matching disease and conditions with pets. Fair. So every question you ask me, I'm going to go to cat because I'm a cat person and I love cats. But I also think 
if you're anxious, a cat sitting on your lap and just the purring, just petting a cat is calming. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, we talked about some of the mental health aspects, and as you alluded to earlier, like it's a little bit intuitive that mm -hmm. it, it might help in these regards, but what about physiological effects? Have they studied any of this, like something that's not necessarily a mental health issue? Totally. There's tons of literature on this. They're studying pet therapy and things like heart disease, blood pressure, cancer, and even cognition. Patty. What? Get out of here. Get out of here. Oh, yeah, Patty, are you ready for this? I'm always ready. Are you ready? No. Did you know? What? Pet owners are more likely to complete cardiac rehab than non-pet owners. No, get out get of out here. No, it's true. Did you know that an Australian study found that the health benefits of pet ownership were so great that it could save over $988 million? Do they use dollars in Australia? I don't know. Oh. Get out of here. Well, dog owners are less likely to die one year after an MI. Get out. Get out of here. Did you know that owning a pet was more effective than ACE inhibitors at lowering the blood pressure response to stress? Oh, get out, get of, out of here. here. But did you know using a horse for emotional support is called equine therapy, but when it's used by the physical therapist to teach mobility, they call it hippotherapy. Get out, get out, of, out here. of here. Did you know that there was a study that found cats alleviated negative mood equally as well as a human partner. Okay, now that I believe. Get out of here. But did you know pet owners have a lower resting blood pressure? Get, Get out, out of here. here. Did you know some studies have shown lower risks of depression in nursing homes where patients have been given a companion bird? A bird? Get out, yes. of, Get out of here. Well, did you know that there are case-controlled studies where subjects who are exposed to a fish tank had greater weight gain? Bubbles! Did you know that the use of llamas, dogs, and rabbits in autism was associated with an increased use of language and social interaction? Get out of here, but research has also shown that chickens in nursing homes can decrease depression and get patients to be more social. Get out of here. Chickens? Yep. No, I mean, I have heard that chickens are great pets. I'm like, sure. They're very loving. You're, they're great companion animals. Mm -hmm. They always greet you at the door when you get home. Get eggs. Really? You just got to talk about the egg part of it. What what Patty can get out of it. Breakfast. That's where we're going. Look, I'm just saying it's a win-win. Okay? Sure, I'll agree with that. Okay. And then think about all farm animals. I mean, have you seen a baby goat? Pretty cute. Is there anything more adorable than a baby goat? I could think of some things. Well, I'm thinking of oxytocin. You know, when you see something that sweet and adorable, oxytocin gets released. Aww. You know, the bonding hormone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I assume that effect has got to be subjective, right? Like, I'm not going to go look at a shark and be like, start releasing oxytocin because I mm. feel attached to it. Okay, that might be fair. But in the research, upwards of six different neurotransmitters that influence your mood have been documented to release after a 15-minute or more interaction with animals. Which ones? Not necessarily the shark. I'm not sure we've delineated that. <laughs> no, not which animal, which neurotransmitters. <laughs> Yeah, cats, dogs, <laughs> dolphins, chickens, good, sharks, you know, certainly ants, terrible for your neurotransmitters. All the neurotransmitters. But it certainly, no, it does bring up a good point, right? Because our subjective sort of feelings about a particular animal, I would assume has some influence, especially as it relates to things like oxytocin and other neurotransmitters. 
um, because it's the ability as to whether we're going to develop a real bond with this creature. Well, you know, there is this theory. There was a biologist and a naturalist named Edward Wilson, and he came up with this biophilia hypothesis, in essence, basically saying that human survival depended on signals from animals in the environment to tell you whether you're safe or had threats. The biophilia hypothesis? Yeah. So we're learning from our animals like something bad might be around. I could see that with birds, but I mean, if you're in like the woods, most of the other animals are running away from you, aren't they? Well, even now, it's not that we're learning about bad things. This hypothesis is now saying like if you see your animal at rest or in a peaceful state, it can signal safety and security and a feeling of well-being, which then might put you in a state where personal change and healing are possible. No, I'm not buying this hypothesis because... Essentially, I, I think he's talking evolutionarily, right? But he's, yeah, in essence saying, like, before we had meteorology, you'd watch all the animals run into the forest, and you're like, oh, some kind of storm might be coming. There's a change in the barometer. Yeah, and, like, maybe you'd notice some birds flying away or something like yeah. that. But the majority of our use for animals evolutionarily mm-hmm. was for food. And so I, I wouldn't think that that would naturally um, set us up for a situation where we would want to develop strong bonds toward them. Well, he, I don't think he's saying bonds. I think he's saying... There are some subconscious signals that happen. But you're talking about the urge to affiliate with nature, right? And I'm thinking, like, affiliate with it from the standpoint so that we can shoot it with a bow and eat it? <laughs> there are a lot of different that's, ways to affiliate, a, sir. I mean, but that was kind of the main thing, right? Uh, um, it's one of them. I mean, I get it. Something bad is happening and the birds are flying or and cawing or squirrels are running away. Just because you're hungry and you want to shoot animals with arrows doesn't mean that you can't also appreciate them and bond with other animals. No, I mean, I do. I agree with that. Like, if you talk to a lot of people who do hunting, mm-hmm. then they, they certainly they have a very spiritual experience with the aspect of hunting and they feel right. deeply connected to nature in doing so. Mm-hmm. I just don't know about this Edward guy. What? Why would you not care about it sound, Edward? It kind of sounds like he's making stuff up. No, he's actually quite famous, Edward Osborne Wilson. They even call him the new Darwin or the Darwin of the 21st century. I mean, that's all well and good. I, Darwin's cool in my book. Uh-huh. Um, I think the point that I was trying to make is like we've got these different feelings for different animals, right? Where mm-hmm. it's, it's somewhat subjective in nature. Like I'm going to have a deeper feeling and connection and therefore probably physiologic response and it's a, for different animals, right? You know, so like cats and dogs might have a, a better capacity to to heal some of the things that we've been talking about, as compared to like if we're talking about sharks, or, or certainly if we're talking about ants. Oh, oh, well, I have an interesting fact What's for that? you, Michael. What? Edward Osborne Wilson, his biological specialty is myrmecology. What's that? It's the study of ants, and he's been called the world's leading expert on ants. I mean, that's not even a thing. <laughs> I think that's why you hate him so no, much. No one would study ants. This is why other you hate than him how so to exterminate them. This is why you're so anti Wilson. No one, no one in their right mind would have any sort of interest <laughs> in ants other than how to rid the planet of them. I, I thought I pulled the, the batteries out of that thing. No, I guess it's time. What time is it? Oh, you know what time it is. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Wait, what time is it? Oh, I think you know what time it is. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. All right, so we got this email here from uh, 
from Joe. <laughs> mm, of course. Um, anyway, the question is, what is the difference between a service dog and like an emotional support animal and some of these other categories? Is there anything, is there, is there a difference? There is. And, you know, people in that space are very specific about the terms that they use, right? So think of like a service animal. These are defined by the American Americans with Disabilities Act to be trained to perform tasks to work with people with disabilities, like a guide dog, right, for example. Then there are working animals, and these are specifically trained for things like search and rescue or explosive detection. Oh, like with the detection. military. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there are actually some that are trained for cancer detection, believe it or not. Yeah, I've heard patients. that. Yeah. It's amazing. Then there are therapy animals, which kind of do what we've been talking about through this episode, right? You mm. go into clinical settings like hospitals and mental health institutions. Got it. But then there's emotional support animals, and these are not the same kind of a service dog that falls under the ADA. These sometimes have to be prescribed by a mental health professional for a patient mm. that will go in and provide some support and therapy around psychological disorders. Joe, I just want you to know that I'm on to you. You've been trying to get the HOA to allow you to bring your dog to the <laughs> pool for six years. This is not going to work. Poor Joe. Mow your lawn, Joe. Next time on The Lab Report, Meredith Root, famous CrossFit athlete and functional nutritionist. It's going to be awesome. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Yeah, that, that whole work dog, work animal thing is yeah. really cool, like how some of them can oh, detect cancer and stuff like right, that. It's amazing. Right. Well, you have, a, you have an animal. You have Julie the cat. Can, yeah. Is Julie trained to do anything like that? Uh, yeah, Julie's actually really good at cleaning the carpets. I, I thought you said Julie pukes all over the floor all the time. Yeah, and therefore, by instructing me to clean the carpets, she <laughs> keeps the carpets clean.